Hi, this is Antoinette Kutsir from Cape Town in South Africa. Today I'd like to talk to you about um, how inner agility and adult development and leadership development come together and how they stand in the way of um, agility and the adoption of agile in organizations and what we can do about it. So over the last couple of years, we've seen um, Agile going from um, just a set of practices or, um, you know, the way we do things. It has deepened um, through um, the practices into the principles and um, and the values in the Agile Manifesto. So maybe I should say that I'm an Agile relic. I um, first started working in XB in 1996. So, um, and in later years, we've heard this idea of an agile mindset being bandied about. So let's start there. You know, what is the agile mindset? Um, and I'd like to share with you the work that my colleague and, um, and friend Simon Powers have done on defining the agile mindset. So, um, Simon sees three basic beliefs in the agile mindset. The first one is the complexity belief, and this builds on the work of people like Dave Snowden and his Kinevan model, where um, there's a difference between clear problems, between complicated problems. Complicated problems is when we need experts, and when we do enough analysis, we can come up with a solution. And complex problems, where um, in complex problems, even looking at the problem changes the problem already. And um, we never quite know what impact um, an action will have. So doing analysis um, and then trying to come up and treating it like a complicated problem doesn't really get us very far because there are so many things that are interrelated. You know, So a good example of a complex problem is the impact that the pandemic, you know, the coronavirus had on the world in general. You know, nobody could even if we um even if we tried to nobody could have predicted exactly where we are in the world right now okay so so there's the complexity believe you know um the end solution is not predictable at the outset and it's it is unknowable in fact the second belief is the people belief so the people belief says that we are both independent from and dependent on our teams and organizations because human beings are interdependent. So in in our, you know, it's one of the agile principles as well, um, and it speaks into individuals and interactions. Um, given the right environment, you know, safety, respect, diversity, inclusion, and a motivating purpose, it's possible for trust and self-organization to arise. But for this to happen, it is necessary to treat everyone with unconditional positive regard. So that's the people belief. The third belief is the proactive belief. And this speaks into the relentless pursuit of improvement. Constantly looking, how are we doing? Um, if we're doing not so great, well, let's get good. If we're doing good, well, let's get to greater. And what's important to realize is that mindset is a property of an individual. So this is where we start looking into um, 
adult development, leadership and adult development. So I came into contact with the word of Robert, uh, work of Robert Keegan a few years ago. And, um, you know, before Keegan's work, there was a belief that we develop as human beings until we are, you know, in our early adulthood. So there's, you know, child, child development, um, various, um, psychologists worked on the theory of child development. Um, but then once you grow up, you kind of just carry on, you know, and, um, and Keegan did some grounded research, you know, grounded research, meaning that he didn't set out with a theory to prove. He, um, he started looking at data and then allowed a theory to emerge. And, um, basically there are at this point four distinct stages of adult development. Once we, um, you know, once we start growing into early adulthood and beyond. So in the first, um, I'm not going to bother you with all the details, but I just want to give you enough so that you have an understanding of how this plays out in our business behavior. So um, the first stage of adult development is that of the self-sovereign mind, you know, and this is very noticeable if you've ever um you know, had to deal with a teenager, or if, if you have teenagers in your life, or if you remember being a teenager, you will recognize this, you know, um, it's um, up to that stage, we have a feeling of connection with the, uh, with the world, but then one day, um, it's like a wall coming down, you know, um, so I've seen this, I don't have kids, but I've seen this in my two teenage um my sister's kids, you know, we're the most loving and beautiful and caring, uh, gorgeous girls from one day to the next just turn into little monsters. Um, I'm glad to report that one of them at least has grown out of it by now, uh, but the other one's slap bang in it. And it's really because there is a loss of connection, you know, that it feels like a wall is coming down um, in that stage of development. And it leads to feelings of you either with me or you're against me. So no shades of gray thinking, um, you know, is, uh, is possible actually even in this, um, you know, in this stage and shades of gray thinking to our self-sovereign minds also a little bit suspect, you know, um, as we, fortunately, we don't stay there, you know, um, because then we would all still be in the, I don't understand anybody, therefore nobody can understand me, uh, no one else is like me, and um, I'm like nobody else, you know, you're either wrong or you're right, and I have to look out for myself because you're either with me or you're against me, you know. Um, so we grow out of that space into a space um, where our minds open up again and we realize that we are each too small to hold onto the things that we need to hold onto. So we, um, you know, as a result of becoming embedded in a community and a set of friends and a profession and a set of theories, we become more open. So um, at this stage, what happens though is that 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 um, community or set of friends, profession, whatever, um, that becomes our whole life to us. Uh, we kind of breathe it in and it becomes a part of us and we become subject to those influences. So they become who we are and they become the lens as well that we look through instead of the lens that we look at. 
So this takes us into the socialized mind. That's the second, um, you know, second stage of development, the socialized mind. And, um, you know, being so embedded in, um, in our group or our, our society or our profession, um, we develop an external locus of control. So we stick to the rules. Um, we care about what society or our peer group thinks of us and we care about our impact. Um, um, and it's, you know, the basic thing here is if you love me or you value me, you'll know what I'm thinking. Um, and if I'm not a success or a good person, then I don't have any value. Very often we find that, um, our role, we become our roles. Okay. And we also, because it's being, you know, doing the right thing is so important to us at this stage. Um, we also can, um, you know, can lean quite strongly on a person who can and will tell us whether we're doing it right. Okay. So, um, you know, this is, it's great. And we always retain a part of this. It's not like we grow out of these phases. Um, uh, we add to them rather. Um, so it's, it's great. But if everybody was like that, you know, we wouldn't progress as a society. So we start growing into the next phase, which is the third one, the self-authoring mind. When we grow tired of trying to be what society or our peers or our family wants us to be, um, you know, when, when we get, I always think about the movie Zelik here, um, a Woody Allen movie where he's a human chameleon and he changes to be, um, like the person or the people that he's with all the time, you know, um, so it, it's really tiring. Um, and when we start at that point, when we start to author ourselves and realize that what I think is right is the best thing for me, is um, so much more valuable than anything that anybody else or society or a group of peers can tell me. That's when we start dancing to the beat of our own inner drum. And by the way, this is really, when we step into this, this is the first time that we actually um, start showing up as as leaders. Okay? So, um, we, you know, in our self, um, in our self-authoring mind, um, we will... If we have to choose between pleasing others and, um, you know, living by our own values or principles, that is what we choose. We choose to stick with our values or principles because otherwise, who am I, you know? So it's not that others' views are not important, um, but ultimately, the only one who can decide what's best for me is me. Um, I'm also the one, you know, I'd, I stop lending out my ears as an expression we use in my own language to others in terms of, um, am I competent or am I not? And there is a very strong belief that, um, I do best when I can be true to myself and I make my own path. So, um, you know, this is a great place to be, you know, and like I say, this is when we start stepping into leadership. Okay. Still, at some point, we, um, we also realize that, um, you know, living in this way is living according to, yes, our own inner drum, inner drum beat, our own values, our, our own beliefs, okay? But at some point we realize, well, maybe those are not the only ones in the world, you know? Um, 
maybe there's some limitations to my own personal theories and my practices, especially practices of leadership. Um, and if I start looking and listening to what others, you know, what others say and do, I mean, even competing theories and practices, maybe there's growth there for me. So a great statement um, that helps us to, you know, um, move out of this phase or start embracing the next phase is what am I thinking and how could I be wrong? And that leads us to the fourth stage, which is the self-transforming mind, um, where we realize that, um, you know, the rules I live by, the things I believe, the things I believe in are also just beliefs. I can look, lift them up, I can look at them from all angles, and I don't have to be subjected to them. I can let them go if they're no longer true for me, or change them if there's something more applicable. Um, I mean, there's a strong belief here, um, who knows what is right and what is wrong. Um, and generally, this starts happening when we see that some things that we held on very firmly have been wrong. So if some things could be wrong, then what else could be wrong? So there's a strong belief here that I'm also made up of so many threads of other things, you know, people, value, cultures. I'm a rich um, tapestry, a rich living tapestry. Um, and, uh, you know, while I enjoy positive emotions and events more so than negative ones, there's richness and there's learning and everything. Um, so my shadow, therefore, which I used to hate and push away, I now see as a gift. There is learning and development in there for me. And I really understand, start understanding that um, I don't know it all. I don't see it all. And in fact, we are all right, but only partially so. So, you know, this is all fine and well, theory, you know, and you can read a lot about it. Robert Keegan's books are very interesting to read. He's a, he's, um, you know, he's a very interesting speaker as well. Um, but what does it mean for us? You know, and, and the, here is the shocking truth. Um, almost 50% of us are at socialized mind where we have that external locus of control, where we follow the rules, um, where we want to do the right thing, and we let that right thing be dictated by um, those in society, those that we have authority over us, etc. There's about a third of the population that sits at self-authored mind, you know, so a third of us have the potential to lead, where we start listening to ourselves and develop our own values, etc. There's only 7% of the population that sits in the self-transforming space. Okay. So if we think about um, coming up with new and wonderful ways and not taking ourselves and what we believe in seriously, there's only 7% of the population that is sitting there. And the thing is that... Um, in order to be effective leaders, um, we have to be at self-authored mind um, or beyond. Okay, so you know it's no wonder that we're struggling in the world so much if we if we if we tie those two together. Now, leadership development frameworks also, um, you know, if I bring it a little bit closer to the agile world, leadership development frameworks 
also are mostly built on um, these uh, adult developmental theories. So the particular one that I like to work in the leadership development framework, uh, which is based on the work of William Torbert and Suzanne Cook-Reuters and a couple of other people. Um, when we look at all the levels of, uh, you know, what we, what we gain throughout our, throughout our years on this earth, for us in particular, it's noticeable that, um, in the, if we look at the highest way of, of leading, that somebody who sits at this, at the, um, at the uh, socialized mind sits at. So if we take adult development theory now into the world of work and we look at, you know, most of the leadership development frameworks out there are um, are based on the adult development theory of Keegan and Lisa Leahy. Um, so if we, in particular, the one that I like to work with uh, is um, based on the work of Torbert um, and Suzanne Cook-Reuters and um, a couple of other people. So it's just called the Leadership Development Framework. And what's important for us as Agilists is to know, if we talk about command and control, which we like to do so often, command and control is endemic to so, to socialized mind. Okay, to so 50% of the population, if they do end up in a leadership position simply because they've been around for a long, long time, they will, um, they will play in that command and control area. If they are transitioning into, um, you know, uh, self, uh, self authoring mind, which is where we expect leaders to be, um, the command and control tends to morph into predict and plan, you know. So that's the space of traditional management where we analyze the problem. So it's, you know, we treat it as a complicated problem, as a yeah, complicated problem. We, we analyze the problem. Um, we kind of uh, suss out what the, what the problem is and how to solve it. We plan for executing that solution and we execute on that solution. Okay, so that's typically, for those of you in software development, that's typically what we do in Waterfall. We do upfront analysis, then we plan and we, and we execute on it. Okay. It's only beyond, um, only beyond self, um, self authoring mind when we start moving into self transforming mind that it becomes possible for us to use the inspect and adapt that we are so familiar with in agile. So, um, you know, that in leadership terms, we would call that sense and respond leadership terms, uh, sense and respond leadership. Okay. So, um, if we now take a step back, what, uh, what I'm basically telling you is if a leader is struggling, um, because they fall back into command and control, it is not because they don't want to do it. It is potentially because they aren't able to do it from a developmental point of view. They simply cannot go there. That reality does not exist for them. Okay. So what do we do? You know, I mean, personal development is a hard job. Um, we have to do these transformations. What do we do? What, where does that leave us? Okay. So, um, 
The first thing is, you know, generally, once we start learning about um, development and we learn about horizontal development and vertical, de vertical development, the thing um, that I would say is when you meet up with somebody in an organization, meet them where they are. Um, to try, to want to try and make them something that they are not yet is futile, it's frustrating, it will cause resistance, um, and it will probably get you kicked out of whatever you're trying to do. So first of all, um, you know, be with them where they are. Um, you know, for instance, understanding this, understanding this model um, gives you greater insights. You know, and also remember that all models are wrong, but some are useful. So, um, Hold the models lightly, you know, see where they are, but most of all, make sure that you meet them where they are as human being, um, that you don't paint them with a paintbrush and, um, and therefore treat them in a specific way. You know, have that, um, have that intimate and deep relationship with every single human being that you come across and be really curious about where they are, what's, what they value, what's possible for them at that stage and support them wherever they are, you know. So that's the first thing. Really meet them where they are authentically, honor them, be respectful of their journey and, um, you know, and allow them to be where they are. The second thing is that as agile coaches and specifically enterprise agile coaches, Okay, there is a lot of work to do in terms of uh, providing leaders with the opportunity to do leadership development and like now you would know personal development as well. Okay, so um, educate them, coach them, challenge them. You know, in agile coaching, I see a lot of downwards coaching, but it will not very going to go very far unless it's accompanied by upwards coaching as well. So that will mean you have to learn about leadership development. You have to learn about executive coaching. You have to overcome your uh, fears or your hesitance, if you have any, to, um, you know, to working with leaders, to coaching with leaders, um, you know, and, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a something for you to keep in mind. In most organizations, people are too scared to make full use of their autonomy anyway, and Really, don't be one of them. You know, speak truth to power. And if you can't, find out what stands in your way and get rid of it. Okay, work on it. And that leads me into the third point about what we can do. The third point is, um, you know, I've been in an agilist for a long, long time. And, you know, I'm not the only one. So there's a generation of us already that grew up in agile and have an aversion to power being used in the traditional way. So how about we show the new way then? You know, if, if you are looking at your leader and going, well, you know, you should be developing, you are, you just not getting it. Um, how about we become the leaders that we are waiting for? Um, you don't have to lead with authority, you know, you can lead without authority. That's the definition of an agile coach or a scrum master. It's a leader with, without authority. 
So whether you want to study professional coaching, whether you want to get a coach, whether you want to go on your own leadership development journey, educating yourself and showing up in a way that grows leadership in others is the first place to look. Be the change that you want to see in the world, like Gandhi said, you know. So, I mean, the other thing that's probably useful for you to know You cannot expect with leaders and help them develop or help them grow their own inner agility if they are way ahead of you in terms of leadership development. I mean, you have blind spots too. There are multiple assessments available today that will help you see where your growth lies. You know, do those and start working. Every coach should have a coach. Start working with a coach. And then the fourth thing is, you know, so we've spoken about learning organizations quite a lot in the past. Um, learning organizations um, are now superseded. I know that a lot of organizations are still try- trying to get to the learning organization level. But actually, they've been superseded by developmental organizations. You know, learning very often um, is, is conceptual. Um, it's for our heads. What we need to do. Um, and how we need to be to show up in the in the world that we currently live in, we need to have inner development. So start looking at the human system you're working with and find ways to let them see themselves. Um, Robert Keegan wrote a book, I think it was his latest or last or second last book, called An Everyone Culture. Which, which is pretty much, by the way, what we try and create in agile organizations. So he spoke about creating deliberately developmental relationships where people come together with the explicit aim of developing themselves and their mental complexity and meaning making. Okay. Um, now I see a lot of hunger in the agile community, um, to do that anyway. You know, that's why people listen to podcasts and while, why people, um, you know, why people enjoy going to conferences and meetups, etc. Okay. Um, but find somebody or find a couple of people. Um, I mean, I've been part of a deliberately developmental group for, I think it's about three or four years now. So find those relationships where people will, um, where people will deliberately um, develop one another and um, and challenge one another, you know, where there's not only psychological safety, but also psychological challenge to develop themselves. So practice them yourself and also learn how to create those deliberately developmental relationships um, and conversations inside your organization, whether you're an internal or an external coach. Okay. So that's just a few ways in which we can bring together that which we know from human development, from leadership development, with the realities that we face whenever we try and bring agility into organizations. You know, agile really does require a deep individual human change. Um, the further you are up in the traditional organization, uh, probably the harder it is for you to change. That's certainly in my experience, that is the truth. So um, the higher people are up, the more support they need from us. And we can only do that if we develop ourselves. Thank you. And goodbye. <laughs>